If you're ever in the area, come check out Gem Comics located at 125 West 1st Street, Elmhurst, Illinois, and talk to Chris Jocelyn for all your comic book needs. Without further ado, Gem Comics proudly gives you Chris vs. Chris, a comic book podcast, where Chris Sturm and Chris Jocelyn, two comic book enthusiasts with the same name but with different opinions, do battle with each other by opening the gates to all things comic culture related. One shall stand and one shall fall. You decide. Welcome back, listeners. I am Chris Jocelyn, and I'm here with... Chris Stern. And the great Pat Hurst, who is going to tell us who won last week's debate on Heroes versus Villains. Pat, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, my name's Pat Hurst, as he said. Um, I work with Chris part-time over at our part our his full-time job. Um, I've been doing that for 15 years. I'm a kind of a comic fan, like heroes. I like superheroes. Um, never read them as a kid, but now I'm starting to pick it up a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's, that. yeah. <laughs> so that's where I'm at with the comics books. Cool. Well, what did you think of uh, Hero versus Villains? Um, I thought you guys did a great job. You both had very valid points. Um, with the better points. <laughs> And we will not judge you one way or another, but I'm lying about that. So. I'm not just saying this because Chris is my boss, technically. But <laughs> Pay you later. Pay you later. <laughs> just let's get through this part. Um, but I do think villain. I think Chris won because, like, just siding with saying, like, villains, they're the ones who make the stories. Just thinking about some of the stuff that, like, was said in there. Um, one thing I pulled up in all of us, I think we all have a villain side in us. Um, if you think about just jobs in general a lot of us take that extra step to get paid more money. Like, now, is that being villainous? Like, if you love your job and you leave to go somewhere else, are you being a villain because you're leaving your job? No, I wouldn't say so, but I suppose it depends. I mean, if your job's robbing banks, then yeah, probably. But, uh... <laughs> On to the next heist. <laughs> it pays better. <laughs> but my other point was, like, police and firemen, they would be out of a job. Like, fires, they're villainous. Oh, yeah. So if there was no fires and there was no crime, what would police and fire do? Especially if there was an arsonist and murderers and... And they usually go hand in hand. Like, if there's a fire, the police are involved to figure out, like, what started it. So First action. It's the villains. It's the first step. It's the heroes that keep you coming back. And don't think I didn't see the 20 you slipped this guy earlier. (laughs) That's later. (laughs) The other half. (laughs) And if you think about some of those superheroes, like, as you've, like, seen videos... They do have that villainous side in them, and there's, like, that story behind are like, am I doing what's best for me or my family? So they do have that side where they have to decide, or they want to stay with a hero or a villain. Um, if you watch the news today, like, everything is negative, negative, negative. So, like, if, they, if you heard all positive stuff, would you want to watch the news anymore? No, I mean, no one's denying that the villain is essential, I mean, but also so is the hero. And I guess my question is, is being selfish villainous or is being selfish just human and is neutral i think it's villainous okay okay i mean we're here to get your opinion yeah that's perfectly valid response i think because you don't want to take from others like i want i guess if you want a perfect world you want everyone to have like an equal play an equal stance everyone to be equal yes that's not our world but that's what people want like you don't want to take from like they said uh what was it Uh, robin hood took from the rich and gave to the poor. Is that yeah. villainous? Some could say that is because he's stealing. Interesting. So was he a villain? He was a robber. 
Yeah. We never brought up Robin Hood. We did. It's <laughs> been a good one to dive Damn. into. And I just thought about so, that yeah. after like the whole robbery thing. Like, but he did like steal from the rich, gave to the poor. Is that a villainous? It's like a philosophical debate right there. All for right, sure. tune in next season for our <laughs> philosophical debate on is Robin Hood a hero or a villain? And Chris did bring up a good point that like which one you did. Chris Sturm, yeah, sorry. Chris Sturm. They can't see us. They don't know. Chris Sturm did bring up a good point that, like, people do come back to see um, what the hero is doing. So, like, there is that point that people do want to know about the hero. Oh, that so, was actually my point. Oh, sorry, yes. Sorry, Chris wrong Chris. Chris. Yes. Chris Sturm with the villain. Yes. <laughs> he did, like, bring up a good point, though, that people do go back for the hero. They're, they want to know what's going on with the hero. But more people want to know, like... Where's that villain? Like, what's going on? Like, what is this hero going to do next to, like, fight off a villain? So I think the villains are the ones who make those stories. If there was no villains, there would be no heroes. Okay. Yeah. And, like, I was telling Chris, like, we were talking to before. I'm like, even in our line of work, people say we're heroes for what we do. And it's just, like, a job that we do. But, like, there's still some villainous stuff in, like, in my thinking sometimes, like... Here I am at this one place, but once again, I want to go. I want to move up. Like, I need more money. Do I, like, leave that position? Like, it's hard to leave jobs. Do I seem like a villain when I leave? Or even, like, in the agencies that we work at, you're bouncing around. Sometimes you're known as the villain when you go to a different agency when you see some of your participants. Yeah, I think the reasons behind your motivations are a factor that can be determined if you're doing it for good reasons or villainous reasons so i mean by your own example just to use one from my life is before i owned a comic book store i was an emt i left and i say this in quotes saving laws for uh selling comic books i i like to think that's not villainous but you can definitely make an argument all right uh any more thoughts or should we close this out i think villains make the story Fair enough. Fair enough. Another one in the books for me. We'll agree to disagree on this one, but yeah, this just means I got to find more judges now. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Stop bringing your friends, Chris. So you can bring and yours? family. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, listeners. Stay tuned for our debate today. We will be debating something awesome. So don't go away. Thank you very much. All right. Without further ado, Chris versus Chris will now debate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mirage Comics Run versus IDW Comics Run 1 through 100. Welcome back to another episode of Chris versus Chris. We are your hosts, Chris Sturm and Chris Jocelyn. In today's episode, we will be debating Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mirage. Heroes in a Half Shell. Heroes in a Half Shell. Mirage versus IDW. Uh, I should specify Mirage Volume 1. Uh, I will take on Chris Sturm and IDW will be taken on by Chris Jocelyn. Only up to issue 100. I think everyone who's ever come across the turtles has their favorite which is everyone everyone Uh, they're very special to some folks that definitely grew up in the 80s and 90s with the cartoon i can say that was my first exposure was the 80s cartoon but when i went and actually got introduced to the mirage volume one run that run has not been repeated in another iteration which is what's great about the ninja turtles it is so it's very dark gritty and 
very ninja-esque, I gotta say. Just brutal. The whole brutality. thing feels, and was meant to feel, like, you know, Frank Miller's Daredevil versus The Hand. In fact, actually, if you read the first issue of the Ninja Turtles, the canister that struck Matt Murdock's eyes and gives him his powers is what rolled off and created the turtles. Actually. Hand versus the foot. Yeah, yeah. Type there's, of thing. There's a little bit of... Only a little uh, bit of... Uh, it's not plagiarism. Let's call it a... Like homage. A love homage. That's a great way to put it. What I want to say about the Mirage run is that when I was rereading it, it's very cinematic. Uh, even if you read it in black and white, those of you who haven't, it works well in black and white. It even works well in color. This is my opinion. I just think the color fleshes out really nice. The overall tone of it, I hope this comes in some iteration on streaming or a movie because we haven't seen Turtles like this. Now, IDW... I'm going to actually... Yeah? Give you Give a little bit of pause there for a minute. Sure. The Mirage series is the basis that everything else Turtles has pretty much grown out of. Ironically, actually, I think the one thing that references the Mirage series the least is that 80s cartoon that we all know and love. I agree. But you look at pretty much every other iteration of Turtles since, and you're going to get some level of homage. Even the live-action Turtles movie had notes from that original Mirage series. It definitely is the closest iteration to the Mirage series, but Mirage takes it one step further. Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird. Well, I think I'd actually phrase it as the other stuff doesn't take it as far as the as the Mirage stuff did. Right, now. Yeah. But, I mean, the movie... The very first movie took elements from certain issues and jammed it all together. That's why, this is my opinion, but that movie still stands. It holds. I actually rewatched that movie earlier this year, and yeah, I, I still enjoyed it. I and mean, it, there, there's some stuff that's cringeworthy in it, but it's, uh, it's yeah, the 80s. It is the 80s. And it took a lot of elements from the comics, but what you don't get in your other iterations is the level of violence in Mirage. That is top-notch, uh, independent, grunge comics right there that you it's don't gritty. get, I don't think, from any other comic iteration, including IDW, which has the resources of going back to every iteration and pulling out what they, you know, viewed as the best and remixing it as a whole new well, Turtles iteration. Two things I will say, and actually you you just kind of made one of my points for me is yeah. one of the reasons the IDW series is superior is the benefit of hindsight. You can look back and go, okay, this worked, this didn't. The Mirage series, oh, and the other thing I was going to say is that the, I think the IDW series benefits greatly from the involvement of Kevin Eastman, one of the original two creators of Ninja Turtles, along with Peter Laird, in mm -hmm. case you didn't know. And if you didn't know, why are you listening to us? You should be go reading comic books, obviously. The IDW series knew what it had from the beginning. Yeah. It knew, whereas, whereas the Mirage series, for all of its grit, for all of its portrayal of violence in the way that you only can do when you're publishing your own comics and not actually expecting very many people to read them. 
Yeah, that I would give it to Mirage. I will give that to Mirage because too. Because you have two creators that are starting off from the bottom. They put out one comic, issue one, and it took off, but they did it their way. There was no restrictions on their Mirage run. And in turn, they become very successful and they're victims of their success because they're being approached by Fred Wolf to do this animated cartoon, which takes off on itself. They're, you know, then there's a movie uh, and they were smart. They had all their rights to the Turtles property, but they were pulled in so many directions that the comic had to be given out after issue, I think 21 in the Mirage run to friends, other creators to take in almost like an anthology series. But that first 21 issues, with those two together, it's remarkable. It's just... It is remarkable. Balls it started the, the whole wall. thing. Like, but it's also haphazard. They made issue one, not expecting to make issue two. They made yeah. issue three, not sure if they were making issue four. They, they built Maybe. this world based on what popped into their head for any given issue. There isn't an overarching plot for the most part. There isn't a whole lot of interconnectedness between the things. They ran into the crying, they ran into the triceratons, they ran into the foot, but these weren't a coherent narrative, a coherent world, really. Whereas you take the IDW series, which already knew, okay, from the very beginning, all right, we're gonna introduce the foot, obviously. Mm -hmm. We're going to introduce the crown. We're going to introduce the Triceratops. We're going to introduce the Fugitoid. They knew from the beginning what they were doing, that they were going to introduce all these elements, and they were able to weave them together into a narrative interconnected, and that's the part that's making it brilliant, interconnected world that ran, that ran in for technically more than 100 issues, but we're only going to focus on the first 100. Right. But even that, if we're only looking at the first 21 issues of the Peter and Laird Mirage series, mm -hmm. that's five times the amount of story you have to tell. And, and you'll agree with me on this one, mm -hmm. they told it pretty much flawlessly. You know, the whole hundred issues, very few lags, very few gaffes, I would say. Mm -hmm. It got from A to B, A being issue one, B being issue 100, with, and as a pretty cohesive narrative. You could actually see the, the steps laid, the groundwork for whatever they were going to do much earlier, so that when it, when it paid off, it didn't feel out of place. It was definitely planned out. I would say you can make the argument it was planned out very well coherently, and that's why it's made it as far as it has. But I would actually Mirage, make that But that Mirage run, it is connected. If you look, the turtles are coming up from the sewer. They run into the purple dragon, the foot, and Shredder. That's your first issue, right? And they kill off. Sorry, spoilers. But their main character. Came out does, in the 80s. If you haven't read it by now, I don't think that's our fault. He, he does come back. <laughs> he does come back. I can't explain how, but I could, but it's hard. Uh, science, let's just say that, and mysticism. He came back because Laird and Eastman really regretted killing him off in the first issue. True, but the impact that first issue had killing off your main villain, well, I don't think they knew at the time 
that was their main villain. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't but, know anything. They they were. But it, it was worked. a word. It was. I mean, they planned that as a brilliant one shot that was both spoof and love letter to comics at the time. Even the name that is pretty well put. Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage because the Teen Titans were popular. Mutant because everybody loves the, the X Men. Yep. And Ninja because they love Daredevil. Yep. And Turtles because it was the most ridiculous thing they could think to put at the end of those three adjectives. I agree, but had they not have done what they did in that first comic, I don't think you would have had the success. There wouldn't have been a second issue. It had because Which, that first uh, run, three thousand issues, sold immediately, and then they came up with their. I don't know if the second issue came out first or their second print of the first issue, but either way, there was a love for for this independent comic. But where have you ever seen that before? Like issue one, and it just in that time. Let's just say eighties and nineties, where it just boom, it goes right off the rails. I mean, within three to four short years. You have an animated cartoon based off this. There and has, have a movie in the last, and I think we can both agree that in the last, I'm going to say 40 years, there has never been an independent comic success story like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. They are everywhere, as evidenced by this recent movie that just came out, which is apparently breaking records on merchandise sales. What they have done is Turtles has been reinvented for every generation mm-hmm. to fit. Everybody growing up, whenever they grew up, has this memory of the Ninja Turtles. They have their iteration of the Ninja Turtles. It's, it's kind of like Doctor Who in that way. Everybody has their Doctor. Everyone has their Turtles. Yeah. And yes, it started with that Mirage series, which, hey, credit where credit's due. If we're going to go off which series is more original, of course I'm going to give it to you guys. But here's my question. What is more important, originality or story? Because IDW, through sheer length, cohesive storytelling, characterization, these are things they do better. Yes, they had the benefit of hindsight, which helps. Okay, Mm -hmm. granted. But they're still doing it better. I mean, anyone can take a song and remix it, and then it's great, but you need that original stuff. It needs to be, it needs to resonate with an audience in order for it to be repeated. And that's my point with Mirage, is that it just went right off from the start with a bang. And it did connect. I mean, your second issue, you know, that led into Baxter Stockman holding New York hostage with the Mousers and robbing banks with them and the Turtles running into April, which led into the third issue, which was like one of the longer car chases in comics, I believe it's considered. And then it goes into the fourth issue, the fifth, like it all builds upon itself right up until the point where they're facing off against the Triceratons and Gladiator fashion. I mean, it threw everything. It did throw everything. I mean, there's zombies. Of course there are zombies. What in comic this have comic, zombies? like, the turtles are so, it's because the creators made them so versatile that other people could take that property and ma- remix it into something else that someone else would love, but it needed to start there. It needed to be good storytelling. And the art itself, I mean, what other company or creators hand the pages off to each other and say, go ahead, I started, can you 
do it next, and they just back and forth, back and forth. Well, there was a really interesting series in the 80s called DC Challenge, where actually character creators would deliberately put the heroes to this crazy, mind-bending scenario, mm-hmm. and then hand the next issue off to an entirely different creative team with no notes whatsoever to see how they would get them out of it. But not page to page. Not page to page, Like no. That's what these two did. And I was just throwing random comic knowledge into it, because that's what I do. It's a good one. <laughs> I mean, you could say that with any comics, really. Like, you know, if they finish a run or they finish an issue, whoever picks it up, they got to continue. Daredevil, I think it used to be you know? a standing thing where you had to completely screw over the next writer with the end of your run. Yeah. But that's my point. This run does have connection. It does. It may be off the seat of its pants, but it worked. You got so many characters created within the first 10 issues that have been remixed and remixed in different iterations. I think 2013 animated uh, cartoons, the closest that you'll get to the true characters of the Mirage run, even the 2003, because that animated series was ran by Peter Laird. So you get to tell his stories, which I think it's kind of blasphemy, but I think that run of the show is much better than the 80s for different reasons. The 80s run of the show suffered from something that a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles television stuff and movie stuff has suffered from, which is what age group it's aimed at. Whereas... It is kids and selling toys. Yes, but it's based off of a comic that is very much not aimed at kids. Right. You're a father. Would you let your kids read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one? No, they'd be too scared. And I I don't blame them. I'm a 40-something-year-old man, and I'm a little scared. Many people don't notice, but the turtles drank beer in that comic. (laughs) Beer. They were lightweights, one beer, and they were knocked out, but beer nonetheless. Yeah, there's also that thing where they stabbed that guy in the stomach and threw him off a building. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, He wasn't the only one. And you know what? They had it coming. They did. But originality is just one part of storytelling. There are others. And I think it's hard to ignore the fact that in the IDW series, they were able to take all of those other aspects of storytelling. Yes, they weren't as original because, yeah, you're right. They're remixing uh, Eastman and Laird stuff. But Eastman gets to go and go, okay, what do I wish I could have done? If I was reinventing the turtles for this new generation, which, hey, he did, what would work? And you know what? He did it better, I think, on the second time around, because he was able to create some new characters. He was able to go in-depth more into who these characters are, even the established ones. The changes to Raphael's backstory where he wasn't raised with the rest of them. The whole mysticism aspect of reincarnation, I think, adds a very, very good dynamic to them. If for no other reason than you get the idea of their long-dead mother, who occasionally they get to see when they're having a near-death experience. That's the something we've never seen. The concept of their mother, we've never seen anything like that in any other iteration, let alone the Rat King and his crazy mystic god family, which I think is one of the most interesting Turtles setups 
that I've ever seen, and that's completely original to the IDW series. So it does have originality. It has a couple other things going for it. I mean, IDW, established company, more or less can keep its creators like Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. I mean, they... It's not necessary victims of success. They can focus on this project and stretch it out. Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman just when you're giving young people that much money being thrown at them, it's hard to like stay with this business when you got a man. Right, they're many just plates. like Rob Liefeld in that way, yeah. where they were given too much money and they couldn't focus on the comics they were putting out in the early image days. It's true, but the oh, comics they did weird. point that the comics they did put out were just, you know, it's it's unforgettable. Like it will, it's it's copied over and over and over again in different elements of it. To argue it better than IDW, IDW wouldn't have the materials had the original creators create this juggernaut of a success. And the okay. mysticism of the Turtles reincarnation versus the Mirage Ninja Assassin Turtles with a mission, and they are formidable. I mean... They well, are they're, they're, they're violent and killers in the ways only you could be in an 80s indie comic. Yeah. And I'll, I'll agree, that's something. But by the same token, how many issues did it take before you could actually tell the turtles apart if they weren't armed? Well, it's black and white. Let's go with that. I knew you were going to go with that. Mm -hmm. and, All right. From issue one of the IDW series... You could have the turtles take off their masks and be unarmed, and you could still, by the way they were behaving, know which one was which. You could, even in issue 20, most of their personalities, Raphael aside, admittedly, mm -hmm. did not stand out all that much. Leo had a bit of one, Donnie had skills, Mikey was funny-ish, and... Lighthearted. Very lighthearted, yeah. It was all, their personalities were all secondary to the story. These They're, characters didn't get fleshed out until you got the cartoon. And then the cartoon from the 80s into the 90s, that's when these characters started getting fleshed out into what you have now with IDW and all your other iterations. Had that cartoon not happened, these characters would have still had characteristics and mannerisms but in a much darker tone it wouldn't have been as light as it is i mean i don't want to call the 80s and 90s a watered down cartoon version of the mirage but it was for kids and then there's your adult characters your, well teenage adult ish story so characters aimed at adults very much aimed at adults when you look at and that's actually another thing i'm going to say mm -hmm. that the idw as long as we're on the subject of characters because in the IDW series, the characters grow, they evolve, they change. I mean, yes, you see, I mean, obviously they're still them. There's, it's not like you're gonna see a 180. These characters actually go through these traumatic events and then afterwards are different. Afterwards, there is character growth, there is character change. So in the Mirage run as well, Donatello by the end of City of War, he, fell off a roof and was fighting one of Shredder's guards and had to pull a gun on him and shot him to death and murdering that character 
messed with his head where he needed to go off at the very end with Splinter to kind of just figure out how to deal with that. Casey Jones left the group for a while and knocked up a lady, got her pregnant, and uh, had a child. Had to take care... The child's name was Shadow, but had to take care of that... He had to grow up in that story. In that very short 62 issues, uh, he went through some things as well. And, like, where his place in the world is. You know, Leonardo being a leader and being an effective leader, that played a role in the whole run. Raphael with his temper and being able to control it. I mean, the first meeting of Casey Jones, he... It's a reflection of who he could have been if he just did not have control, watching Casey Jones just lose control on, you know, vandals and stuff like that. These characters in Mirage do go through arcs. They're just a little bit more subtle within their personality. But, yeah, you can make the argument. They're not distinguishable because visually we don't know if they're not holding their uh, weapons. But when you read the story in the context, yeah, they are. They're very much different. By the end. Maybe middle end. I mean, the problem. I mean, part of the whole point of a story. By the end, you you change. You're different. You've learned or grow. But that's not it. But all right. So, refresh my memory on City at War for your Donatello example. Yeah. City at War, if I'm remembering correctly, is the last twelve or thirteen issues of the series. Yep. Um, The Donatello story you wrote was literally he wrote the end of the character. Not the end. Because they never came back? They did come back. They did? I thought the series ended after he did that. Uh, No, after that, Volume 2 picked up with 12 issues, and they picked up right after... Oh, Volume 2 was a continuation. Yeah, 1 through 12. And then Volume 4 is a continuation of Volume 2. It is a little bit confusing because Image picked up what is considered Volume 3, but really is Urban Legends. It got finished out few years ago, but that's not technically also considered Also by IDW. Yeah. And thank goodness they did that, because uh, the the cliffhanger was just, I don't know, that was a very bizarre run. That's a whole other podcast in itself, the image run. But no, these stories did continue afterwards. With Peter okay, but if we're, tutelage. Okay, but if we're, all right, if we're capping my series at 100, we're capping yours at 61. 62. 62. There's difference between character arcs that are going to continue that you see the ramifications of and character arcs that are the end of the story. Because, yes, they made a volume two, mm-hmm. but they dealt with ramifications of it. Laird continued the story, but it wasn't the same. But I would argue they're not as... I mean, yes, they are subtle, but so by definition, they're not as explored. You don't see the definitions of Raph being raised separately from his brothers, and that's why he's angry and individualistic, and that's something he has to fight against. Well, you that's don't just have... a different take on Raphael. I mean, okay. in a Mirage run... Okay, so which take, but which take resonates better? I would argue the IDW one does, because... There's a reason for it. There's understanding. You can point back. It's not just this guy was raised exactly the same as the others. He's just got a chip on his shoulder for reasons we don't understand. The chip on his shoulder is that he's very protective of his brothers. He's very much action-orientated and wants to protect them. That's why he's so headstrong. That's why he butts up against Leonardo. And you see that in the Mirage run. It's just... Isn't the re- doesn't the Raphael micro-series start with him almost killing Michelangelo because yeah. Michelangelo is beating him in a sparring match. Yeah, it does. But that, that, that's the protective he, Raphael we're talking about? He is wrestling 
with that aggression and anger. It's that issue that he recognizes that I need to put that in check. The later on exploration of why his character is so headstrong and aggressive, it's because it's out of love for his family and wanting to protect them. And that works. I find that the idea of having that love and protection coming from the family that rescued him Mm-hmm. That, that that hunted for him and found him and brought him back into the fold with the rest of them. To me, that makes a much more compelling story for why this character is a loner. Do you know what I first thought when I read that story, when they finally got Raphael and they brought him back into the fold? Almost like he's not, not a brother anymore, but like an adopted figure. Like, hey, you're part of the family, and he has no real... I don't... He doesn't have recollection of them, right? He just forgot... He had work, some, he much? knew them, but he didn't he didn't ha- I mean he, he didn't, didn't have, have the connection. Last. He he did, and that's actually where that mysticism resurrection aspect of it comes in, which is it's interesting. It's an interesting. I take enjoy on that. It. T- I enjoy I don't the to say about it. I don't want to knock it. I really don't want to knock it, but it, it's mysticism reincarnation. Okay, you know what reincarnation and it works for the turtles. Me, it, well, that's the beauty of the turtles is. is that everything works for the turtles. You have one issue where they're fighting ninjas in the streets of New York, and then two issues later, they're off into outer space. Into outer space with or the Triceratons or somewhere. Land. I mean, that's yeah. exactly. Or the time turtles travel. are as crazy as any other comic on the planet. They have as much going on as just about any of them. I'm actually hard-pressed to think of one that has more going on, more variety of storytelling avenues going on. Yeah. I can't think of any. And I think, going back to a point I made earlier, in the IDW series, the way they weave them interconnected, they manage to tell a story where it makes sense that in this world the leader, the alien tyrant Krang, has a relationship with the ninja clan head Shredder. And they actually tell that story in a way that works. These aren't separate elements. Yeah, but in the Mirage Run, the Krang are the ones that created the turtles because of the mutagen. And they did that in... It was still the mutagen. I mean, it the works. Krang it's, still, it's still story. Yeah, yeah but that doesn't it make it... But it doesn't... It doesn't explain it's not connected it doesn't flow as well it's one thing then another thing then another thing then another thing wait refresh my memory how do the idw turtles mutate into what they are how, how do they get exposed to them Sh- uh the krang gave i want to say shredder but it might have just been tcri baxter stockman mm-hmm. mutagen to help create super soldiers for him to fight his war that he is losing they then, the turtles are exposed to the, they, they amp Splinter's intelligence when he's a normal rat, so he becomes a super intelligent rat. Right. Because, why not? Yep. Um, and that's the other part of the turtles. No matter what iteration, there's an inherent amount of ridiculousness that you just got to go, yep, okay. But yeah. S- Splinter recognizes the reincarnate, his reincarnated sons in the turtles, takes them, and I can't remember if they're accidentally or deliberately exposed to the ooze, but it does still come from the Krang. It is through Baxter Stockman's company, TCRI. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's actually Shredder who attacks TCRI that causes the incident where the ooze and another original character, Old Hob. 
I do like that original character. Old Hob are exposed and mutated. Old Hob, by the way, is another great addition. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that's one of the fun things about the Turtles is that that whole mutagen, any rando could be the next mutation of a character, and that works for the Turtles, too. You can introduce these new original characters like the 80s cartoon did like every episode there was a new character some good and some bad yeah they weren't all winners yeah I, I, was well, you gotta collect the toys yeah. man. oh god all right that's the other thing i think the idw series if we're talking about characters mm-hmm. the idw series took some of the more ridiculous characters and made them cool the example i'm going to use is rat king I mean, Rat, wait, which iteration of Rat King? Because the Mirage, original Mirage, he was he was good. Mm. He was good. I, they're very similar. What not is, one? They're not. IDW's Rat King is definitely godlike, but this Rat King has psychic abilities. He had minor psychic abilities that worked on rats. Yeah, he was a outcast living in the sewers, whereas this Rat King is a trickster god. Which. You hear yourself saying this, right? Like, out loud. I mean... The ridiculousness of it. We, we already established the here ridiculousness of the turtles. Yeah. And that's, in any iteration, that's one of the things that works. That's what you get with the benefit of hindsight. That's why, occasionally, when a creator goes back and gets to retell some of their original story, they're able to improve on what they weren't quite happy with before. I mean, is it improvement or is it just a different take? Well, in this, uh, I mean, for your argument, you want it to be an improvement, improvement. but I just read it as a different take because there's a whole multiverse of Ninja Turtles, as we know, and we're not going to talk about those, but it's they're all different takes based on the original property. And one of the fun things, I don't know if you ever saw that Turtles Forever movie, but it is the 2003 Turtles clashing with the 1980s cartoon turtles that run into the Mirage Run turtles. And they are terrified of the... They're called uh, Turtle Prime. They're the they're the Oh, oh, oh that, that episode from the... Uh, was it a movie? I saw it as it episode. It was a TV movie. It was a I saw, TV okay, movie. Okay, I saw it as epi- broken into episodes on the original show. They're terrified of them. Oh, uh, who wouldn't be? These things, and, the, things are- and the Turtle Prime... Uh, the Mirage Turtles look at them and like, what's with the belt buckles? What's with the different color headbands? Yeah. They're just mocking them with all the changes. But, you know, it's it's nice to see them in that context. And they, they mean business. Like, they're not playing around. And they assist the Turtles in basically uh, taking out the Utron, formerly known as Shredder, <laughs> which is very complicated to go over. Whole nother thing. But... That being said, I personally would like to see a Mirage version of Volume 1 Ninja Turtles put out there in, like, live action. I think that would be something. Versus IDW, I would rather see it maybe as an animated movie or something like that, which hasn't been done yet. I would say, actually, I would actually also would rather see the IDW Turtles in a animated, but more anime style. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, clearly you got to keep the ultraviolence. Clearly you got to keep uh, the grit. And I think that works better in anime. I just don't think we could actually make them look right 
in live action. I'm going to reference Michael Bay's movies. Um, yeah, you got to stop with the CGI. It's got to yeah. be... Um, credit where credit's due, though. If I had turned a corner and seen Raphael from those movies staring at me, I'd crap myself just flat I mean, out. He's six foot tall. Yeah, I'm Six foot tall turtle looking at me like he wants to beat my ass. Yeah, I'm, I'm running. But... But I think you're right. I think yours would work as a movie mm-hmm. because... Or a TV show. Actually, I don't think so. I just don't feel like there's enough content in the IDW to make a good TV show. IDW or Mirage? I didn't mean to say Mirage. Yeah, though. I caught you there. I'm helping you out. But no, I that's not true. That. The Mirage does have enough content. You just, you just have to read it. That's what I'm going to say. I have you read, read it. it. You, just, you would have to pad it considerably to make a TV show. I don't think so. I mean, you can add more elements. I mean, you can't take it any comic book story put into live action or an animated movie. They they pad it up somehow. There's only so many pages, and it's very rare that every page is taken off and put into a movie in its entirety. I think there's only one or two I can think of. I got Sin City. What do you got? Watchmen. Yeah. That's that's all I can really like think about. Everything else has been remixed or well, added or something. I mean, that's that's the other thing, and is that most comics, even I think the Mirage one, you can't take them shot for shot because a static picture versus a, a moving picture, it just doesn't. They don't trans. The angles don't translate as well. The cinematography doesn't always work as well. Mm. Oh, three hundred. That was another one. Yeah, that is pretty. Spot on. Yeah. But there, in all of those movies, there was a lot of slow motion, a lot of almost freeze frame moments that were designed to replicate those shots. Maybe you could do that Mirage, maybe not. Who knows? But I would argue that the IDW series gives you enough, especially with enough interconnective tissue between the storylines, that it feel it doesn't feel like the Mirage series felt like the turtles going on a variety of adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Whereas the IDW series feels like the turtles living one life. They live one life, but they go on they go crazy on, adventures. Oh, they too, absolutely do. From one to one hundred. Oh, absolutely. But they, I mean, it's a comic book, of course. They go on adventures. No, but I mean, like adventures, like not on Earth. They, absolutely, you know, and they. But it's all. But it feels less like them bumbling from one thing to another and more like... Yeah, but the Mirage Run, they don't know the world. They're just figuring it out, and you can tell in those pages. Yes, in the IDW, they're figuring it out, too, but they have, I would say, way more support. Yeah, like, they have writers who support. know what they're going to do the no, next issue. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I mean... So many of these things, they felt like, hey, let's do a, let's do a space adventure. So all the turtles fall into this portal in this place and we'll end up on the far side of the universe. I mean, they did that for IDW also. They did, but they did it differently. (laughs) That it made more sense. Okay, sure. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears here. I'm going to do something different that uh, we haven't done on this podcast. I'm going to put something on the table, and I want you to describe it, and you tell me if IDW can even come close to matching this. 
describe to our listeners what, what's in front of you right now. All right, Chris. this is Chris Sturm bragging his ass off because this is a CGC copy graded at 6.5 of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one, uh, first printing. And, uh, well, that's just awesome as hell. And it's an iconic image. It's, I mean, the 2012 cartoon, I want to say, even references this image in their opening. It's so iconic that Mirage, Volume 1, Issue 50, does an homage to the first issue it's of it. It's insane. And I'm not going to deny. And But that's... Which IDW cover will, you know, be worth like this? Well, it won't because you've got yeah. icon. I mean, I've already seeded the point that you've got originality and scarcity, iconic and scarcity. But that's not what we're talking about. Yes, we are. Well, that's which what you're one is better? About. Well, and I was actually going with content, not Flash. Is it Flash? You literally just dropped it in there to go flat to flash off and show that you have it. I mean, I might be flexing, <laughs> but let's face it: when you look at that issue, issue one, first print. I mean, what do you feel? What are what are the emotions you're getting out of that? Envy. I mean, let's be honest: it's it's one of the iconic comics of all time. You get that with anything with IDW? No, but okay. give it time. <laughs> doing math in my head 38 years old 39 years old uh yeah 39 years old all right let's talk about idw and 39 in well it's been 10 years so let's talk about idw another 29 years and we'll see uh if that catches up to this i mean come on well of course it's not going going to catch up today no it's of course it's not going to catch up but you're right i can't knock it the only thing i can say that idw has over the mirage series in that sense is a far better story well, that's debatable. Which we've been debating for it's, the last half hour now? It's an, it's an opinion. <laughs> it is, but I'm, I'm backing mine up with facts and, you know. Oh, mine's numbers and facts, too. It's iconic. There's it no is way. iconic. That is amazing. And I am very tempted to grab it and run out the door. <laughs> but, oh... <laughs> I hope you stretch, because I sure did before I put that out on the table. I would want to end this debate a little bit differently. Instead of closing remarks, I want to ask you, who is your favorite turtle and why? Well, my favorite is Leonardo. I like that he's a serious student of the arts. I like the martial arts aspect to him. I respect that he's the oldest. Being an oldest myself, that kind of, there's a relation there. Um... And I like that he's the one with the plan that's going to get his brothers out alive. See, I like Raphael. He's always been my favorite because of his fighting style, brutality, the aggression, and the fact that he can take charge when he needs to take charge. Yeah, he could be a hothead, but who hasn't been a hothead? And I know he can beat Leonardo in a, in a fight. I am not going to give you that one, but I will say that it does make absolute sense that Raphael was the first turtle to die in Lost Ronin. <sighs> he died so amazingly. I'm not even mad about that. I'm not even a little bit right. mad. He, I, he, he died exactly the he way he took out he, so many Foot Clan and then stabbing Karai into the Hudson Bay. I mean, come on, man. Like, he... he Picked a fight he couldn't win and he lost. But he took out so many of their forces. I mean, ugh, yeah. 
Is it a smart plan? No. Was it cool and badass? Yeah, you can give that to Raphael any day of the week. Yeah. So that's our episode. Please let us know in the comments who you think won the debate. If you have any ideas for any upcoming uh, episodes that you think Chris and I should debate, let us know. We're always happy to hear your guys' thoughts. Until next time. I'm Chris Jocelyn. And I'm Chris Sturm.